0: But I don't I really don't have any regrets. I really don't. I've I've lived exactly how I've wanted to. I've tried my hardest every single time. I didn't win the matches that maybe I should, should have always won or but I really gave it my all. So that for me is enough. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to The Body Serve. I'm Jonathan. I'm James. Episode 334, we begin with a retraction. We don't often make mistakes that warrant a retraction, but when we do, (laughs) it's almost always having to do with handedness.
1: It is. It's just something I I cannot keep track of. So unlike the New York Times, we do issue retractions when we say something false or misleading.
0: I sat here and didn't correct you so I'm at least 25% culpable complicit.
1: Yeah. I we were talking about the death of one-handed backhands or the you know the exit of all the one-handed backhands from the ATP top 10 which is probably temporary. But I said that Ash Barty had a one-handed backhand. And I think you said
0: one-handed slice. You're implying right. that she had a one-handed backhand,
1: which is only partially true. Ash also hit a Mm two-hander, but she hit her slice with one hand, like most people. It's just that she hit slices more often than most people. So she actually had a two-hander and a one-hander. You know, and as a fan, that's really embarrassing. Because I miss (laughs) (laughs) Ash.
0: I loved watching her play. But that's on me. Dubai, Jasmine Paolini. This was a week of champions coming back from multiple deficits. Wow! And sometimes deficits that should never have been overcome. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely in the case of Jordan Thompson. Like, that one was crazy. Oh, yeah. Starting in Dubai with Jasmine Paolini, she beats Anna Kalinskaya in three sets, 4-6, 7-5, 7-5, to win a big, big title.
1: Her first 1,000 title, just the second title of her career. She won a 250 a few years ago. She's 28 years old, and I didn't realize she's been out here since 2015. That's when she turned pro. That was nine years ago. I thought that was like three or four years ago, but uh, she's been grinding out here for a long time, and it feels like she has really learned how to uh,
0: kind of direct
1: that power
0: of hers. Mm -hmm. The the pandemic has really messed with our sense of time, Mm -hmm. because, for example, this past week, I uh, I saw a friend that I hadn't seen in a while. We used to work together and we're talking about how long it's been since we've worked together. And she was like, oh, yeah, it's been seven years. I'm like, excuse me, what? <laughs> but three of those basically have been pandemic years. So it yeah. feels more like four, but it's really seven. That was a tangent.
1: Uh, back to Jasmine. In this run, she beats Hadad Maya, Leila Fernandez, Maria Sakari, gets a walkover. From Rybakina, takes out Kirsteya, doing the Lord's work in the semifinals, and then beats Anna Kalinskaya in the final. In that first match against Harad Maya, she was down a set, 2-4 and
0: 15-40, and managed to wrestle that one back. And then in the final, she was down 4-6-1-3 to Kalinskaya, and also came back from 3-5 in the third set. A little bit of a side note here. This was Maria Sakkari's first tournament since Tom Hill. She won her first match, 6-4, 6-2, and that was against Anna Navarro. Um, Emma Navarro, and, not Anna. <laughs> the commentator from The View. <laughs> not the turncoat <laughs> Republican, not that one. And then in the second round, she loses 4-6, 2-6 to Paolini. I watched that match, and Sakkari was up a break in both sets, and Paolini just did what she does. You know what she's got? She's got a lot of spunk. Mm -hmm. As for Kalinskaya, she beat three top 10 players en route to the final. Number 10, Ostapenko, being the first person other than Victoria Azarenka to beat Ostapenko in a singles match this year. She beat number 3, Goff, as well as number 1, Sviantek, in the semifinal.
1: Yeah, let's talk about that match. It's a tight first set. Iga finally breaks for a 4-2 lead. And then all of a sudden the wheels come off completely and Kalinskaya wins six games in a row for the virtual bagel. Wins 6-4 in the
0: first set and then we're up 2-love. Kalinskaya ends up winning 6-4, 6-4. Iga admitted that she was not at her best. But as you have noted here, Kalinskaya had the perfect game plan for Iga, pushing her back and rushing her strokes.
1: Right, it's not rocket science against Iga, but it's very difficult to execute. But if you can push her back Behind the baseline, start rushing her, just kind of overwhelm her with big, flat power. Those are the kind of players who can beat Iga.
0: Not many people can do it, though, successfully. Iga had won her last 14 matches versus top 20 players. There have only been four players with longer streaks than that. One of them is Iga, who had a 21-match win streak herself, and this is dating back to 2000.
1: Yeah, first 14 straight wins against top 20 players is crazy. And Iga, at her young age, keeps racking up these very
0: impressive streaks. Paolini is coming off of her best slam result. If you you recall, she made the fourth round in Australia. And in that fourth round match, who did she lose to? Kalinskaya in straight sets. I remember watching Kalinskaya uh,
1: playing Sloane in Australia, because Sloane was in really good form, and we expected a great match. And I just enjoyed watching Kalinskaya's game quite a bit. And I think a lot of people discovered who she was during that run. She reached the quarterfinals there, as you noted, knocked out Paulini, Sloan, and then took Zhang to three sets, the eventual runner-up.
0: You have this question posited here. Are these two WTA 1000s too close together?
1: Well, yes. <laughs> they are. In this this golf swing... They've been holding most of the finals on Saturdays. The tournaments start early on Sunday. And some players have been complaining about the lack of travel time and having no days off. And if you're someone who does not have a bye in the first round, sometimes you're playing every day for like eight, nine days in a row. Iga said she wasn't her best. She was tired. She felt like she couldn't execute any of her game. I don't blame anybody for feeling like that. She gave props to Kalinskaya and said she played very well, but, you know, I really couldn't do what I wanted to do today. And it's honest. Like, if you're having an off day, a lot of athletes, as they grow up, sort of lean toward the diplomatic.
0: I think this is just a pretty mild response from Iga, really.
1: Oh yeah, I'm not saying it's controversial. I'm I'm saying that it's no
0: wonder that she's tired, first of all. In Los Cabos, Jordan Thompson wins the first title of his career. Beating Casper Ruud six three seven six in the final, new career high number thirty two for Jordan Thompson. This win, and we'll get into how he did it, because he spent a lot of time on court in Los Cabos this past week. This win, though, early in the season from maybe an unexpected player, brings to mind stuff that we've seen throughout the years covering tennis on this podcast, especially against one of our faves. Early in the season, somebody pops up seeming, seemingly out of nowhere to beat one of our faves, and then they go on to have good seasons. Julin, I think last year against Venus or the year before, we've seen Andrescu kickstart her career with wins over Venus in Auckland, I believe. Mm-hmm. This year with Jordan Thompson, it was against Rafa in, as you say, Brisbane.
1: I said it one time by accident. (laughs) I actually forgot. I'm like, who are you talking about?
0: Which fave did he beat? And that match, Thompson played out of his mind. And he's continued to have good results as the season has gone along. And it's culminated in this big win in Mexico.
1: I have no idea how he did this. How he spent so many hours on court and managed to stay upright. In that quarterfinal against Mickelson... He was down Love 6 and 1-4, 15 There's no way he should have won that match. That one lasted two hours and 42 minutes. Get to the semifinal. That's against that guy, Alexander Zverev, who was the number one seed here.
0: It kind of defeats the that guy Whatever. if you then name him.
1: <laughs> Fine. That guy, Friday night, three hours and 42 minutes. And then we get to Saturday night, and he's got to play the singles final, the doubles semifinal, and then, if he wins that, the doubles final,
0: all in one night. He beats Casper in the final of the singles, goes on to beat Casper in the semis of the doubles, and then, along with Max Purcell, goes on to win the doubles as well. (laughs) Right. Because of the heat
1: in Los Cabos, they start the night session at 8pm, so the heat can die out a little bit. He's on court in those three matches until 2.55 a.m. Again, this is uh, nothing to celebrate. I mean, the achievement is certainly something to celebrate, but this is not something that should ever happen in tennis. And we see it even though changes have been made in ATP and WTA policy. We continue to see these incredibly late stops. That's just
0: not fair. Casper makes that final after beating Tsitsipas in the semifinals. Casper continues his good run to start the year. Unable, though, to come back in that second set against Thompson. Jordan Thompson served for the match in that second set, got broken at 5-4, extended to a tiebreak, and then he eventually closes it out. Casper was serving really well this week, and he kind of looked
1: like he was on his way to the title after beating Sitsipas. He saved five set points in that second set, improves to 2-1 against Stefanos. I'm surprised. After all these years, they've only played each other three times. That was really surprising. And this was the battle
0: of players who have recently fallen out of the top 10. They're both very close still. Maybe Stefanos was not playing all those 250s on clay in the middle of the year that Casper was playing <laughs> well, for all those right, years. Right. Uh, just another
1: note about Jordan Thompson. This is his second doubles title of the month, both with Max Purcell. Uh, the other one was in Dallas. And This stat was surprising to me, and it shows how few top ATB singles players play doubles at this stage. The last person to win both the singles and doubles title at an ATB event was Nick Kyrgios in 2022, Washington, D.C.,
0: almost two years ago. Thompson and Purcell also beat Rafa and Mark Lopez in doubles in Brisbane. Mm. This week was very much a week of hatching and snatching on the men's tour, specifically in Rio, and then also in Doha. Yeah, let's go to Rio first, where Sebastian Baez
1: wins his fifth ATP title in a final, again, with two Argentinian men. Mariano Navone is a brand new player on the ATP main draw. He qualified for Rio, gets his first tour-level match win here, and then he wins three more to reach the final. So he is currently... 4-1 and in his career on the ATP level. He's not coming out of nowhere, though. He won five challengers in 2023, really kind of building up his ranking.
0: Baez is 23 years old, reaches a career high number 21. Baez is 23, and Navone is 22. Mm -hmm. And Baez, a year older, has a far more accomplished career.
1: He is snatching
0: up these titles. He's coming off a 2023 season where he won three titles, Cordoba, Kitzbühel, and Winston-Salem. Rio is his first 500-level tournament. This was a tournament where you may have expected maybe finals weekend to include Carlos Alcaraz. However, in the very first game of his match against Tiago Montero, he suffers an ankle injury. I believe it was the second point of the match. Eventually, he has to retire in the third game, and that was that. You'll remember in the South American swing last year... Let me say, let me think. He won one and then lost the final in the other to the same player, Cam Nori. Is that what happened? Yes. Okay. Yes. He won Buenos
1: Aires and then reached the final again in Rio, played Cam Nori again, and lost in three sets there. And you might recall he was also injured there. He is a player who is going to be dealing with these injuries. Maybe as his body develops, he's still very young. He gained a lot of weight and muscle, you know, between 2022 and 23.
0: This is a freak injury, though. This is just turning your ankle. Yeah, yeah.
1: He's, of course, expected in Las Vegas very soon to play this, quote-unquote, Netflix slam, where he'll be playing an exhibition against Rafa, where they're selling practice sessions with him and Rafa for... $150,000?
0: Well, you can purchase a practice session with Rafa individually for $150,000 per person. That's already been sold, apparently. You can do the same for Carlos, $150,000 per person. That's been sold. What's still up for grabs, last I checked, was you can do a group clinic with both Rafa and Carlos for $50,000 per person, I believe. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that's and then right. they're selling stuff with other folks. So like, I, I think there's a clinic with Taylor Fritz and Francis Tiafo for twenty five thousand per person, or you can do the Bryan Brothers for a thousand dollars per person.
1: Now that's a steal. I think Sam Querrey is going to be there. I'm not sure where exactly all this money is going. I I know that the players are making massive appearance fees.
0: Rafa was seen aboard a plane. With Novak Djokovic in tow.
1: Yeah. Being pestered by Novak on the plane.
0: I feel like that's your own editorializing there. It is, yeah. But that's what we do, right? Uh, Maybe Novak is going to be cover for either Carlos or Rafa should either not be able to play this exhibition. Because realistically, you hype this thing. It's not just, oh, you show up to a Vegas exhibition and if you're there on site you're just shit out of luck. This is being broadcast on Netflix. Mm-hmm. So Netflix needs to have a backup plan here. Like right. you can't be advertising this for however long and then have your two main stars maybe one if not both unable to play and then what do you offer people?
1: Right. They're both going in with potential injuries. Rafa has been sharing uh practice videos on his socials recently. Trying to drum up some optimism about his health. I'm not sure if he's ready to compete at uh, ATP level. Well, that remains to be seen. Carlos needs to nurse this ankle injury. We're headed into the grueling Sunshine Double on hard courts in the U.S. That's what's important.
0: Presumably, they were both flying from the Middle East to Indian Wells on that plane. I'm assuming that's what what happened.
1: I mean, it's a it's a quick plane ride from
0: Southern California to Vegas. Also hatching and snatching this week, in Doha, Jakub Menshik, and then in Rio, Joao Fonseca. Menshik, 18 years old, and then Fonseca, 17 years old.
1: Menshik reaches the final in Doha, losing to Karen Hachanov. He first came to notice in the Australian Open because he beat Denis Shapovalov in the first round there, and that was his first slam main draw appearance he got a wild card into doha from the next gen program
0: and how that works apparently is if you are in the next gen program you qualify for that and you are ranked inside the top 250 you get to choose which tournament you want to use your wild card for
1: oh and really
0: he joked after one of his matches menshik did that he chose doha because he got a free iphone from it
1: <laughs> nice and look what he does Beats Davidovich Fokina, Andy Murray, the number one seed Andrey Rublev, and Gael Monfils in the
0: semifinals. Andy Murray wins his first match of the year at this tournament, losing to Menshik in three sets. And on the face of it, you may be disheartened that he could lose to somebody half his age <laughs> in a long three-set match. But then he goes on to make the final. So... Mm. But, uh, hindsight after this tournament, it might not be as bad a loss as it may have seemed on paper.
1: He beat Müller there in Doha. That was his first win. And his second win of the year was today in Dubai against Denis Shapovalov. And this was his 500th career hardcourt
0: win. Coming back after losing the first set and special for Murray because his father was in attendance, which doesn't always happen. Which is so unusual.
1: I've talked to so many tennis fans who don't even know that there's a father in the picture. All they know is Judy. Do you know the other four players who have more hardcourt wins in the open era?
0: Than Murray? Mm-hmm. Well Federer, obviously. Mm-hmm. Djokovic. Yeah. Nadal? Yeah. And Ferrer? No. Is the fourth player retired? Yes. Recently retired? No. Hmm. In the Oh Agassi. Yeah. Duh.
1: Right? Five hundred wins on one surface is no small feat. That's an amazing thing to celebrate. Murray also said, you know, made kind of an offhand comment about I might not be out here much longer and fans, of course, are going to panic a bit. What does this mean? Does he have a specific end date in mind? And I don't know, Rafa has said similar things in the past, and I think he's just being honest that it's clear, you know, I, I don't have forever in tennis,
0: but I have no idea if he has a specific date in mind. He's about to turn 37 in May, and tennis is a bit of a struggle for him now. So, okay. And he's got four kids. You say he has four kids, but historically, when has that stopped men?
1: <laughs> it when, hasn't. When has that I'm, factored in? I'm
0: saying that because maybe it should. <laughs> okay.
1: <laughs> the other uh, hatcher and snatcher in Rio you mentioned was the 17-year-old Brazilian Joao Fonseca. If you know any Portuguese people in Toronto, you know a Joao. And you mm. know how to say that name.
0: If you ever see the name João, they're either Portuguese or Brazilian. Yes. Well, that's not true. There was a João on below deck.
1: Oh, that's true. He was from South Zimbabwe, wasn't he? Oh, yes. Zimbabwe,
0: yeah. yeah. Hmm. Maybe of Portuguese or Brazilian descent.
1: Perhaps. Fonseca beat Fis 6-4-6-love and then Cristian Garin to reach the quarterfinals. And similar to Navone at the same tournament, these were his first ATP match wins. Back to Mofis for a second. In Doha, he made the semifinals, and this was his first outdoor semi in two
0: years. He talked at this tournament how difficult it is for him to be away from his daughter, how there's so many developmental things that he's missing, and that makes it even more difficult for him to continue playing. And we've talked on this show, I think it was the Mailbag episode, where we answered a question about paternity leave. Mm-hmm. And I feel like maybe Gael is the best example on tour. Of a father who is actually grappling with this. Mm -hmm. That takes care of the tennis results from the past week. Now, something that happened in Dubai with Coco Gauff. In that fourth round match against Karolina Pliskova, we saw Coco have to deal with an umpire who was being quite obstinate.
1: It was a complete failure by the umpire Pierre Baki. What happened... Coco serves to Plishkova.
0: The serve gets called out long after Karolina returns the ball. There is no electronic line calling at this tournament. Coco's serve is out wide to Plishkova's forehand in the deuce court. It clearly, upon replay, covers the entirety of the line. (laughs) Like, it wasn't even close. The umpire doesn't call out until. Plishkov has already hit her ball. Mm -hmm. It was an overrule, in effect, from the chair umpire. And if you watch the video closely,
1: you can almost see Karolina make a gesture implying that the ball is out. She returns it into the net, and then it gets called out. So whatever she did seemed to have influenced the umpire. Mm. There's a replay. It's clearly shown to be in, as you said, and then all hell breaks loose. Because the umpire says... Well, Carolina was distracted by the outcall, and therefore, you don't get the point.
0: As far as Coco's concerned, the point is hers.
1: Now, there's a dispute about the actual facts of the matter here. The umpire was clearly incorrect. He remembered the incident incorrectly. Coco was 100% right, and she demanded to see the supervisor. Now, this man would not stop talking. He would not shut up. It was a constant stream of consciousness from this umpire. At I've one, never
0: seen something of the like. At one point, Coco actually says to him, can you listen to me without cutting me off? She has to say this multiple times to him.
1: <laughs> it was almost the opposite of what happened with Raunich and Tiafo in Toronto versus Fergus Murphy. Where both guys are talking non-stop and Fergus has to say, Milos, can you stop talking so I can explain? This was the opposite. Coco literally had to say, can you stop
0: so I can explain the issue here or what I want from you? Coco is demanding to see the supervisor. The umpire is trying to tell her that no, you can't see the supervisor. It's not warranted here, ma'am. And she's like, I know my rights. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I know my rights, call the supervisor. And Me- you notice she, she doesn't raise her voice because she can't raise
1: her voice because she is a black girl. And she just asks repeatedly, can I see the soup? I want to see the supervisor. Can you stop talking so
0: I can explain myself? This goes on for four minutes. Well, because you know the moment a decibel goes above normal volume. So, well, mm well, mm-hmm. don't like the tone. That's what I she's
1: what I suspected, That's... and you saw some of those tweets. Uh, some of them were deleted the day of. Kicked off a little bit of a quarrel between some people. The issue here is that umpires are only supposed to call the supervisor if there is a question of interpretation of a rule. Now, because Pierre Baki was incorrect about the facts, he interpreted the rule wrong. He wouldn't give Coco the point because he believed that Karolina was distracted by the alcohol, which was false. So in my
0: view, this is an interpretation question. Meanwhile, Karolina plishkova is out here smiling and giggling to her box. Laughing, just like, oh, what's going on? Having a wonderful time.
1: But do you remember?
0: Yeah, yeah, I, when, I, when I things, do remember.
1: When things go against her, she gets physical with the umpire chair and tries to chop it down.
0: She transforms into a lumberjack.
1: But if it's someone else that is uh, disadvantaged by the umpire, it's all, it's funny. It's like, what is the big deal here? And you know what? You could have actually stopped this right at the beginning and conceded. You could have done that at any point
0: within the four minutes. You know you were wrong. You were there. That presupposes that she remembers that the ball was called out after she hit the shot, after she hit the return. Mm-hmm. Sure, maybe she doesn't
1: remember that. But her having a little giggle and a little kiki with her box while Coco was pleading with the umpire, it's just like, this is why Karolina Plishkova is never going to win the sportsmanship
0: award, okay? Never going to win your sportsmanship award, at She's least. never
1: going to win any sportsmanship award because we all remember the lumberjacking. And the second I give
0: this woman some grace, she pisses me off again. Right. And had Coco raised her voice even a little bit, she'd have gotten way more criticism than Carolina did for chopping down that chair.
1: Oh, indeed. So this whole thing could have been avoided if the umpire had called it correctly. Carolina could have conceded. Coco could have just let it go, of course. She said, maybe, you know, maybe I let it go on a little bit too long, but whatever. You know, sometimes when you're right and you feel like something's being taken from you, you don't want to give it up. But she did use that. That anger, she directed it toward beating Carolina in that match. And then reaching the quarterfinals of Dubai, losing to Kalinskaya, no big deal. Kalinskaya was in really great form this week. I love that Coco's dad, Corey, followed up with a kind of an open letter, a note to his daughter about how she conducted
0: herself. Saying, quote, You are becoming the young woman I prayed for. That was so. T- that is so touching to me. That is beautiful. Now I know that you, James, you love mess. Sure, I yeah. presume quite a few of the listeners love mess. I, that's why why, why you, else are they here? That's why you tune in every now and then, <laughs> because if there is mess in tennis, we are gonna have some fun with it. And Hogaruna served this up on a platter. For us this week, (laughs) it was grade A mess. You mentioned on the last episode that with Holger now being repped by IMG, that maybe this online persona, let's be frank, this messy bitch online persona that he's cultivated over his brief career that may go by the wayside. He let us know immediately that those fears were unwarranted. (laughs) He let us know in the same breath That momager may not be having complete control of the career right now, but she still has a role. Let's set the scene.
1: This week, Holger and Patrick both announced that they will be working together again. Patrick will be Holger's coach. Tennis Majors did a story on this, written by Chris Odo, about the reunion. Tennis Majors is a website, a media company, I guess, Owned and operated by Patrick Maratallou. In case you didn't know, <laughs> <laughs> if you go, okay, so I like I knew this, but I, I wanted to be absolutely sure before I put it on tape here. If you you have to use desktop, but if you go to the website Tennis Majors and you scroll all the way down to legal notices, you can see you know this is an LLC or whatever headquartered in France, and it says
0: publication director Patrick Maratallou. And why this becomes noteworthy? for this incident. This article is published and in it Hulger is quoted as saying, I believe he's the best person to help me achieve my goals. Patrick then quote tweets Tennis Majors and says, "Thank you for explaining more the reasons behind this new partnership." Is he thanking himself? I mean, you are the publisher.
1: Uh, I you didn't write the story, but you are the publisher of this site. And David Law responds And David Law from Tennis Podcast replies to Patrick and says, isn't that your own website? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, gagged him. Uh, I noticed that Christos Kyrgios, remember him? Mm. Nick's brother seems to be David Law's very dedicated troll. Oh, he responded to him several times with basically the same thing. I do not need to hear that name again. No, neither did could I, have easily forgotten that I, this person existed. I didn't need to see it, but I saw it. But David was right, of course. And he's doing what a reporter is paid to do. Patrick
0: also retweets Boris Becker, who tweets, I heard the good news. At Hulgaruna 2003 is back with At P Wishing you guys lots of success in the upcoming tournaments and for the rest of the season. <laughs>
1: okay. Thanks so much. Um... Now, the big thing here that you uh, sort of obliquely referenced is a Twitter user responds to Holger's tweet and says, quote, Be careful with the products that you take. <laughs> um, because a lot of us were thinking it, of course. It wasn't in... Were the-
0: we? Were we Were we thinking I it? I sure was.
1: Mm. But... You have a, a coach who has just gone on record publicly and said, I'm, I feel responsible for the supplements that Simona took. Because one of his employees
0: procured this yes, tainted supplement course. for Simona. This is a matter of public record now. This is what all parties involved are claiming.
1: Now, I'm going to get there in a second. I'm going to go back to Simona momentarily, but we're talking about Holger now.
0: Holger responds and says, no worries. My mother has always been in control of this. And will continue to do so. What?
1: This, see, IMG has not sanitized him yet. I don't know if it's coming. But this response contains no denial that Patrick is a menace with supplements. It
0: tacitly acknowledges that there is risk.
1: It says, don't worry. My mom takes care of that. So we're away from the evil
0: influence of this new coach. All of the other pupils at the academy, they may have to deal with that, but not me, not I, mm-hmm. because Mama Annika, she she handles my pills. Pills and potions.
1: Patrick is such a great example of how you can fail up in tennis, if you are a man, typically. And tennis, uh, you know, I know this happens in every institution, in every sport, in many, many companies. Across the world but like the way that men can fail upward in tennis is truly shocking and it's because tennis is still so provincial it's so what's the word insulated that's insular that's the word I was thinking of. And no doubt that Patrick is a coach who's had huge success he I mean he can make his legacy on what he did with Serena of course but the fact that you would go back to a coach who m- most recently, admitted or, or took responsibility for supplying Simona with tainted supplements. It's a doping case that's still ongoing. She just gave her appeal to the Court of Arbitrations for Sport a few weeks ago. It's just amazing. Not that he's still working, but it's amazing that it can pass
0: without comment. Or that he can continue to operate seemingly unaffected completely. Mm-hmm. Like there are zero ramifications for him with what went down
1: now let me get to what i wanted to say Uh, kim Kleisters was on andy roddick's podcast recently and she criticized or sort of warned against putting all your eggs in one basket and she talked about how when simona left her previous coach darren i mean she shed everybody you know she went all in with Maratulu Academy. We talked about this on the show. We actually did. So Virginia Rizzici. I wish
0: Kim was listening because we have already covered it. Virginia Rizichi was her longtime manager for many, many, many years. Every facet of her operating as a professional athlete from a management level completely erased and transferred to Maratoglu. Yes. So
1: that was that's a red flag. Way, way before this doping thing came up. To me, that was like, what exactly are you doing with your career? Now, I take issue, though, with how it's been framed by a lot of people, and a lot of the, the professional commentators in tennis have framed it this way. Simona has made a case that this is a matter of tainted supplements. The ITIA tribunal rejected that defense, unequivocally. Now, tennis, the powers that be, have completely accepted it as fact. And so that's how they approach this. So Kim Kleisters is saying, wow, you put all your trust in this guy's academy and look what happened to you. And my problem with the way that Simona's case is being covered is I find it very infantilizing. This is a 30-something-year-old woman, a two-time major champion. She is grown. Number one player in the world. She, she is being painted as this victim of Patrick. Again, in a defense that was rejected by the ITIA. It remains to be seen if CAS will accept that defense, but the first few rounds, they said that the level of concentration in your blood was way too much to be explained by this accidental contamination. Now I don't know, I'm not a scientist, I'm not a supplement expert, but I just find a lot of the discourse around this is, oh poor innocent Simona, she's not even smart enough to cheat, like that feels like what's being implied here.
0: You say that, but on our BodyServe business cards, on yours, one of your subheadings is pills and potions. That is your <laughs> your director that of that be. department. I should have gone into that as a career, you know? But you know what I mean, <laughs> No, right? the point is, multiple things may be true in this situation, or maybe one thing is true, but we're... Well, not we, but a lot of people are putting all the eggs... In the basket of that being true. That Simona couldn't possibly have done this. That this is not her fault. That this was done to her. Why the near universal framing of this story this way? Exactly.
1: I mean, her PR, I guess, has been pretty effective. And she has professionals working for her to do that stuff.
0: Well, this happened even before the PR went into overdrive. From the very start, this was the way the story was covered. Everybody was saying, oh, I I can't... I simply cannot believe that simona halep would willingly do this i don't bite totally false right
1: and that's your prerogative and she's well liked she's a good sport she's not someone you would ever expect does this but that's really not how doping works right a lot of a lot of our favorites over the years and a lot of nice people cheated it just it, this is sports right these are adults and sometimes adults make poor decisions And And
0: even if you are not fully aware of what's happening in the moment, you are still at the end of the day culpable. Right. Now, I
1: think that we can talk about culpability of the team if and only if the CAS accepts that defense, that the supplements were contaminated and the team didn't do their due diligence in procurement. The way it works now is that all responsibility lies upon the player. And I think... If if we get to that point where it looks like the team was reckless, I think there should be consequences to them as well.
0: But we're not there yet. In other news, James Blake, tournament director of the Miami Masters, he's been found in violation of tennis's betting sponsorship rules. He's been fined $56,250, and he's been handed a suspended 18-month ban from the sport. What does that mean, a suspended ban?
1: That means uh, that he doesn't have to serve it. (laughs) I think because this was his first offense and they found that it wasn't intentional, it wasn't corrupt, but it was still in violation of the rules.
0: And typically when you're handed a suspended ban like that, there are provisions in there that triggers a longer actual ban should some other infraction happen during the course of this suspended period.
1: Right. And the fine was actually much higher, and uh, a majority of that dollar amount was suspended. The 56000 amount was what was left. Because James is the tournament director of the Miami Masters, he's considered a covered person, and therefore he has to comply with all the sports rules around relationships with betting operators. The actual rule is, quote, no covered person shall facilitate, encourage, and or promote Directly or indirectly, tennis betting.
0: The ITIA said that Blake cooperated with the investigation and found that the violation was not intentional.
1: We don't know exactly what the violation was. That was not in the press release or any of the news stories from various sources. But it is possibly connected to James Blake joining Bet Rivers in 2021 as a brand ambassador. If that relationship continued, it would be in violation when he became a tournament director. The CEO of the ITIA, Karen Morehouse said, quote, "This case is more a matter of perception rather than corruption." And of course a lot of business ethics codes are written to cover the the issue of perception, right? And conflict of interest, even if there is no technical conflict, the perception a, of a conflict is really important. Bob Bryan and Marty Fish were actually both fined for promoting gambling in 2022. They were fined less Uh, Their association with Davis Cup made them covered persons as well. Apparently, they didn't know that they were a covered person. (laughs) And this brings up the issue that betting companies have fully infiltrated this sport and many other sports. So many tournaments, probably a majority of tournaments, have a betting company as one of their sponsors. We have the DraftKings desk on Tennis Channel. So many online publications, broadcast networks have partnerships with betting companies Since it's become legalized, it's everywhere. So you can understand how there is a lot of confusion around the ethics of getting associated with betting.
0: You have betting companies sponsoring coverage, betting companies sponsoring tournaments. Meanwhile, you have people who pay for tickets to sit courtside and relay information in real time to try and make tons of money off of betting tennis has historically tried to crack down on that, but at the same time promoting betting. like it, it does it just doesn't make sense.
1: You have commentators on tennis channel talking about the sports books uh, if if one of those commentators is a former player who has a business affiliation in tennis, does that mean they're in violation if they talk about the sports book betting odds and stuff like that? And so the question to me is, why can all of the institutions in tennis get in bed with
0: gambling, but individuals can't? They will say that it's to protect the quote-unquote integrity of the sport. That is the official party line, obviously. Mm -hmm.
1: And of course I understand that. But to me, and this is just my opinion on gambling, I think the integrity has already been breached here. And for my personal interest, it's more centered around journalism a lot of companies media companies are trying to use the the sports books and the affiliation with gambling as a way to basically create a new revenue stream because their revenue is in the toilet it's very difficult to operate a newspaper these days almost nobody is running on a profit i feel that compromises the integrity of your reporters possibly of your unions of your publication i don't want to see it personally like that's my old fashioned thinking
0: The other issue as it pertains to tennis is just how abusive these online bettors are to the athletes themselves. Mm -hmm. How do you promote betting so ubiquitously in sport, knowing how harmful it is to your athletes, how much abuse they receive, death threats? I mean, some of the things that these online bettors say to these tennis players in their DMs. It's the type of stuff that if somebody said that to you in person in real life, you may be going to jail. Yes. And I don't know how you stop it, but it doesn't feel like tennis has any plan. Well, they've welcomed the enemy into the fold. Hmm. With that, that brings us to the end of episode 334, a little bit shorter than normal. Maybe that's a good thing for a lot of folks. It's definitely good for us with the editing process. (laughs)
1: We'll be keeping a close eye on the Netflix Slam, I guess. Are you going
0: to watch that? I, I suppose. <laughs> it depends who's in it. My name is Jonathan. You can find me on Twitter at Tennis underscore John. And I'm James at Elliot JMR. Two L's, two T's. You can find everything body serve related at linktree.com slash the body serve. Thanks for listening. Till next time.
1: Thank you. Thank you very much.